This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Have you ever met anyone who thought they were invincible? I mean, they lived as if they were untouchable, almost acted as if they were impervious to difficulty at all. Well, on today's podcast, we see the full culmination of God's judgment on the people of Egypt, but most especially the direct judgment of God on the most powerful man in the planet at the time, the one who really was seemingly invincible. But as we learn, God's hand is never too short to punish sin or deliver from bondage. Look in verses 4 through 8 of Exodus chapter 11 with me, if you would please, today. So Moses said, This is what the Lord said. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn of the servant girl who is at the grindstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. There will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All of these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will get out. And he went out from Pharaoh's presence, fiercely angry. Exodus chapter 10 and 11 record for us the final plagues upon Egypt, culminating with the most grave of all the plagues, the death of the firstborn. Moses, true to form, predicts it will all happen, but rather than a warning, it's actually a prophetic announcement. You see, God already knew what it would take for the Pharaoh to relent and to let the people go. So he doesn't even give him a chance to respond. He just tells him it's going to happen and then leaves. I ask myself, why would God do such a thing? This makes him appear cold and heartless, willing to abolish a generation over something like this? I've even heard people use this uh, argument to ask, why would I worship a God who would wipe out a whole generation because one man wouldn't listen to what he says? But as always, there's plenty more to the story here. As we alluded to yesterday in our podcast, God is demonstrating his authority over the gods of the Egyptians. The final plague was the finale of that demonstration, for it represented far more than just God's wrath. Alan Roth writes, This plague was the final attack on all that Egypt worshipped, apart from all the natural forces that the Egyptians attempted to propitiate, what they really worshipped in the end was life itself. This is the reason for all of their elaborate funerary preparations. Life in Egypt was very good, with a benign climate, a beneficent sun, a very predictable river, continuation of such a life, and fertile soil that brought down the floods. To them, the greatest good was the continuation of life. 
And in the end, it was the perpetuation of that life that they worshipped and the reason why they worshipped their myriad of gods. But Yahweh had shown them in case after case that these so-called gods did not have the secret of life and that in fact they could only produce death. Thus, this final plague is an attack on life itself. Even life does not have life in itself. It is a gift from the sole creator of the earth, and that creator is Yahweh of Israel. How humiliating this must have been to intelligent, cultured, and sophisticated Egyptians that the stupid Hebrew slaves had found God without looking for him, while they, with all their careful searching, had found nothing but death. Exodus 11, 9 and 10 form a summary, bringing Moses and Aaron's interactions with Pharaoh to a close. And from this point on, all that Moses and Aaron would say would be to a people who were free to worship the Lord of the universe, not a mere man parading as such. J.J. Davis writes, It is specifically stated in verse 12 that these judgments were directed against the gods of Egypt, a fact that is easily observed from the very nature and progression of the plagues as recorded in the book of Exodus. Since the death of the firstborn involved both man and beast, it is quite apparent that it had far-reaching religious and theological implications. The firstborn of Pharaoh was not only his successor to the throne, but by the act of the gods was specially born as a son who had divine properties. Gods associated with the birth of children would certainly have been involved in the plague of this nature. These include men, the god of procreation and rep reproduction, along with Isis, who was the symbol of fecundity or the power to produce offspring. Since Hathor was not only the goddess of love, but one of seven deities who attended the birth of children, she likely would have been implicated in the disaster of this plague as well. From the excavation that we already have learned about of the tremendous importance of the apis bull, a firstborn animal and one rev revered in a very special sense, the death of this animal and other animals of like designation would have had a tremendous theological impact on temple attendants as well as the commoners who were capable of witnessing this tragic event. And see, this was far more than my God is bigger than your God. Pharaoh was seen as the firstborn son of the gods. The people worshipped him as such, and they saw him as the lord and protector of their lives. He was continually oppressing the people of God and had continually refused God's warnings, and now God's choice to annihilate a generation was a full and final assault on his power and on the Egyptian theology. The death of all the firstborn was no more about them than the hail was a judgment on the plants, or the death of the livestock a judgment on the livestock. It was the final progression on the punishment of an arrogant people and leader who had oppressed God's people for 400 years. This was not a momentary grievous act. It was the culmination of judgment on 400 years of arrogance and oppression. Moreover, God was fully justified in choosing to do this, for all, of his, for all of life belongs to him. The firstborn is the symbol of man's strength. At least that's how it was viewed in that culture. 
That's why the firstborn's blessing was so important. God demanding that of them is well within his purview since he is the God who gives and sustains life. This place is a complete picture of just how fragile our life and how how our life is and how powerful our God is. So what can we learn here? Well, there are several things to observe. God is the one who gives life. It is therefore his prerogative to take it. This was the thought pattern behind the Ten Commandments. They teach us of God's character. We should not murder because ultimately God is the one who gives and takes life. Since he is the one who gives it, he can just as quickly take it at any time. Secondly, we are no more invincible than Pharaoh was. Often in our lives, we can think that we have time and energy to spare, but we can no longer protect ourselves from a holy God than Pharaoh could. He was absolutely powerless to save his people, though they worshipped him as the protector of their lives. Ultimately, everything they loved about their lives was decimated by the God of the Hebrews, and the Pharaoh had nothing to do with it. He had nothing he could do about it. This God of the Hebrews was the one who they should have paid homage to in the first place, not the Pharaoh. In our own lives, we have to see that every gift of this life is a gift from God. We didn't create or carve out our lives. We didn't make it on our own. We didn't pull ourselves up by the bootstraps to make a name for ourselves. And to think that way smacks of the pride that invaded Pharaoh's heart. Indeed, the scriptures are true. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The first fruits of our lives are owned by God. This would be the impetus for the tithe instituted in Leviticus. God reminds these Israelites that their firstborn, though it had been spared, belonged to God. God wanted to remind them that the firstborn of the Israelites had been spared, and consequently, they belong to God. He even takes the tribe of Levi as his own people as a price for the firstborn of the people who were spared. These Levites would be the people who would serve in his presence continually as priests, as an eternal reminder of how it all belongs to God. The people were to bring their fruit to the tabernacle as a reminder that they were spared by God. Today we know these as tithes given to the church, but they are no less a reminder of the fact that our very lives have been spared and that the first fruits of our lives belong to God. This applies to the first fruit of our finances, the first fruit of our abilities, the first fruit of our time spent with God each day. We owe him our very lives, both physically in the sense that every breath is a gift and spiritually in that he brought us back from the dead. His death in our place brought this about, a picture borne out through the Passover itself. He is our Passover lamb that is a substitute for the end that we deserved. Now, God will punish sin. 400 years of oppression of his people was in one night judged. Their rebellion and arrogance, the pressure of the Jewish people, all of the judgment of it mediated out in one night of agony. The only ones who survived that judgment were the ones who had the blood applied to the doorpost of their house. And again, another detailed picture of the Passover lamb slain for us. Our sins were transferred to the spotless lamb of God, and his life 
purchased our forgiveness through the shedding of his own blood applied to the doorpost of our house. Jesus, thank you for your blood shed for us. Thank you for the sacrifice you paid to redeem our lives. We were slaves under the oppression of sin. We deserve the punishment for our rebellion and our arrogance, but our lives were spared by your sacrifice, and we have no power to save ourselves. We can't protect ourselves from the judgment that we deserve. Only you could protect us from it. You emancipated us, forgave us, protected us, and redeemed us with your blood. Now we owe you our very lives. You are the firstborn who took our sin and punishment, Romans 8, 29. And we worship and adore you. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. May we live lives of worship that reflect that our lives are owed, owed to you. And may we live as if we have been forgiven. In your name. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For the show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Have a great weekend. Join us on Monday as together we help you learn to read your Bible.